Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. One of the most well-known miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ is the feeding of the multitude, the 5,000 men plus women and children with only five barley loaves and two small fish. It is interesting that this miracle is the only one which is recorded in all four Gospels. So obviously it is an event in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that we would do well to learn more about. On today's broadcast, evangelist and teacher Mr. Jack Hay examines this miracle based on the Gospel of John and chapter 6, in which John presents it as one of the signs, remarkable evidences of divine power that prove that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Mr. Hay gives us many practical lessons from John's account that teach us not only about the person of Christ, but also about ourselves. We're sure that you'll enjoy Mr. Jack Hay's message today entitled, Lessons on the Mountain. Now, we've been taught often enough that the gospel by John is the gospel of the Son of God. And in John's gospel, there is a presentation of the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the gospel, John piles evidence upon evidence to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He wants people to believe on his name. He cites quite a number of miracles. He calls them signs. Young believer, every time you read the word miracle in the Gospel by John, score it out. Don't deface your Bible, but in your mind, score it out and substitute for it the word sign. For invariably, John is speaking about signs, remarkable evidences of divine power that demonstrated that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, we're going to look at one of the signs of John's Gospel, thinking of this feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all of the Gospels, so that must make it fairly important just to think that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. So what I want to do is this, just go through the verses and try to blend together some practical and devotional ministry, which I trust can be of help to our souls. Notice then that the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes his way to the Sea of Galilee, answers verse 2, a great multitude followed him. Why did they follow him? Well, John explains to us, because they saw the signs. These people were curious. They were sensation seekers, and they're only wanting to see some dramatic things taking place. The sad thing is, beloved, by the next day, their motives had deteriorated even further. And the Lord Jesus said to them the next day, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the signs, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. And then an important principle, Labor not for the meat that perisheth. I wonder if I could apply that to every heart in the meeting this afternoon. Could it be that we are preoccupied with things that are material? The Lord Jesus would say, Labor not. For the meat that perishes. My dear friends, there are priorities in life which ought to come above those regarding our material comforts and our financial condition. 
Oh, it's important for us to take on board that little word that Jeremiah spoke to Baruch. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Labor not for the meat that perishes. And so we have those who were following the Lord Jesus because they saw the miracles. Now do observe that he went up into a mountain and there he sat with his disciples, with his disciples. Another gospel would tell us that it was in this situation that he'd said to them, Come ye yourselves apart and rest a while. I wonder if I could ask you, do you sit down with him at times? Sometimes we wonder about the posture as far as prayer is concerned. And sometimes in scripture we discover people standing to pray. And sometimes we discover, like Daniel, they kneel on their knees to pray, indicative of a sense of reverence in the presence of the Almighty. But you know, there's a word about David. He sat before the Lord. He sat before the Lord. And sometimes it's good just to sit down with the Lord Jesus, as it were. Young believer, do you spend time with your Bible? Is your ear open to hear his voice? Do you daily seek instructions for your life? Or are you the kind of person who rushes out in the morning without ever looking at the word of God and without even glancing at the windows of heaven? I tell you this. If you can go out in the morning without spending time with him, you're saying, I can handle this myself today. No matter what the devil throws at me, I can cope. No problem. Oh, I appeal to you. Live your life in dependence upon the Lord and be willing to spend time in communion with him day by day. So up on this mountain, he sat with his disciples. We love the mountaintop experiences, don't we, with him. But it's good to know that he's not only the God of the hills, he's the God of the valleys. You remember that uh, the king of Syria had to learn that. He thought he could conquer the people of Israel in one sphere or in the other. But you know, he had to learn that our God is not only the God of the hills, but he's the God of the valleys. Could be there's a dear saint in the meeting today, and you're going through a valley experience in life. Maybe a dark valley. Maybe the valley of the shadow of death. And there's no light at the end of the long dark tunnel. And the heavens are as brass. Oh, my beloved, it's so good to know that our God is the God of the valleys as well as the God of the hills. But here they're on a mountain with the Lord Jesus Christ and they're sitting down with him. And then says John, a Passover, feast of the Jews, was nigh. Let me pause here. Should be feast of the Lord, shouldn't it? But we've been taught ever so often that in the days of the Lord Jesus, the feasts of the Lord had deteriorated into being feasts of the Jews. Sometimes there is a sense of, well, we get used to things. Routine. And what really ought to be for the Lord has become routine. And very sadly, feasts of the Lord had deteriorated into becoming feasts of the Jews, a Passover. Now, the bulk of the Gospel by John revolves around Passover scenes, and the Passover is right through the Gospel by John. You get it as early as chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And there you have the Passover. And you come to chapter 19, and the Lord Jesus is hanging lifeless on the cross, and a soldier with a spear pierced his side, why did he do it? Well, 
a scripture was fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. That's why his legs were not broken. Where does it come from? The Passover, the Paschal Lamb. But then, says John, and another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierce. Now, my dear friend in Christ, do observe the accuracy of scripture. It does not say another scripture was fulfilled. They shall look on him whom they pierced. That scripture awaits fulfillment. It is in a future day that every eye shall see him and they also have pierced him. And it's on that occasion the scripture will be fulfilled. They shall look on him whom they pierced. But so that that scripture could be fulfilled in a future day, the historical event took place at Calvary. They pierced his side. And so very accurately and precisely, John says, one scripture fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. We never cease to be amazed at the accuracy of the inspired word of God. And so these Passover events and Passover scenes run right through the gospel by John from first to last. And here in chapter 6, a Passover, the feast of the Jews, was nigh. Now I'm glad that John told us that. I discover that John's very helpful, you know. Very, very helpful. He explains things to us. He drops in here and there little explanatory notes which help us to understand. How often does he tell us in chapter 1, which is by interpretation? Which is by interpretation? Which is by interpretation? And John is helping us Gentiles to understand. And you come to chapter 2 and we're wondering... Why all these water pots lying around at a wedding? What's it all about? And John drops in his little explanatory note. Well, it was to do with the Jews purifying, you know, something to do with Jewish ritual, and he helps us to understand. And we're wondering in chapter 6, why all these people on the move? Where are they going to? Why are the crowds congregated? Well, it's Passover time. They're pilgrims en route for Jerusalem. And so John explains that to us. You might say, well, why have you gone to Lens to mention these things? For this reason, I'm appealing now to my brethren who communicate the word of God. I want you to be like John, to be precise, to be lucid, to make the people understand. Sometimes people say about folk, great teacher that brother, great teacher. He must be. Everything he says is a way above my head. My friend, the essence of good teaching is in being able to take things that are difficult to understand and to make them understandable for the people who are there. And so John's helpful, and he explains to us this little point we may have wondered about. The Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And now the Lord Jesus lifts up his eyes, we're told. He told others to do that in chapter 4, and now he does it. He lifts up his eyes to behold this multitude. I learn this that he always practiced what he preached. Or maybe we should put it the other way around. He always preached what he'd already practiced. All that Jesus began both to do and to teach, the Scripture says. And you can see it in this very Gospel by John. Here in chapter 6, he will do. He will feed the hungry multitude, and then he will teach. It's only in John's Gospel that you get the backup teaching to the miracle as he speaks of himself as the bread of God and as the bread of life. And so he's doing and he's teaching. In chapter 10, he'll describe himself as the good shepherd, but he does before he teaches. At the end of chapter 9, there's a man there who's ostracized. 
cast out of the synagogue and the Lord Jesus heard it and he's on the spot and his shepherdly care is in evidence as he brings solace and encouragement to that one-time blind man. You see, he is a shepherd and then he preaches about himself as a shepherd. It's all that Jesus began to do and to teach. My brother, my sister, are we the kind of people who try to bounce others into doing things that we don't do ourselves? That was the indictment that the Lord Jesus made against the Pharisees. They say and do not. Oh, may God preserve us from hypocrisy. May God preserve us from expecting a higher standard of others than what we attain ourselves. And so the Lord Jesus here, he is one who lifts up his eyes just as he encouraged others to do. My brother, my sister, do you lift up your eyes to see human need? The sad thing about Lot is this. When he lifted up his eyes, all he saw were opportunities for material advancement, well-watered plains, and all the rest. Sometimes we are always alert to opportunities for advancement, for material gain, to be more comfortable, or whatever. But I'm appealing to every one of you to be vigilant when it comes to seeing opportunities in Christian service. You see, the woman in John chapter 4 had gone to the men of the city and said, Come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And they begin to trickle out through the gate. And the trickle becomes a torrent. And the Lord Jesus says, Now don't you be saying four months and then the harvest. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. They're quite already to harvest. There they are. Do you lift up your eyes to observe a harvest that is present? The harvest is present in John 4. The harvest is plenteous in Matthew's gospel. But in Jeremiah chapter 8, the harvest is passing. The harvest is passing. Oh, we love that little word in the Song of Songs. The winter is past. The time of the singing of the birds has come. Because we hear his voice. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. And we were speaking yesterday about the rapture. And maybe there's just a faint picture of it there. As he says, arise, come away, winter is past. Child of God, remember this, that when winter is past for you, when the cold, icy conditions of an ungodly world are history, when the winter is past for you, the harvest is past, the summer is ended for the people with whom you live. Tell me, when last did you get round your own street with gospel leaflets? It would be a tragedy. If I travelled the world preaching the gospel, or even in the UK, to distant villages, and I'd never made my own neighbours aware of the fact that they have a soul to be saved, the harvest is plenteous. The time to be busy is right now, harvest present, but the harvest is passing. Summer will end. Oh, my brother, my sister, let us be diligent and lift up our eyes. And then he says to Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Well, I mentioned that it's the gospel of the Son of God, the omniscient Christ, and yet he asks questions. Now please, I do not want you to think that because he asks questions, that militates against his omniscience. He knew the answers. I mean, he knew in chapter 11 when he said, where have you laid him? He knew in chapter 21 when he asked, children, have you any meat? And so on. He asked questions. But whenever he asked questions, he wanted to elicit 
a response. He wanted to engage the person in conversation. It wasn't that he was ignorant. He is the omniscient Christ. In fact, right through this gospel by John, you'll see his omniscience. It's stamped on every chapter. In chapter 1, he knows all about Nathaniel, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. In chapter 2, he needed not that any should testify of men. He knew all men. In chapter 3, he knows about Nicodemus. Art thou the teacher in Israel? In chapter 4, he knows all about the woman, a man who told me all things that ever I did. In chapter 5, he knows about the man. He'd been a long time in that case. In chapter 6, he himself knew what he would do. And so you go on. And He knew that he was come from God and went to God. He knew his hour was come. Right through the gospel, the omniscience of the Lord Jesus And Peter caps it all in chapter 21 when he says, Lord, thou knowest all things. It's an attribute of deity, isn't it? John says in his epistle, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. And so the Lord Jesus was omniscient. He knew all things. But he's asking questions. And he asks this question of Philip, from whence shall we buy bread? Why Philip? Somebody says he was familiar with the area. I don't think that's the answer because Jesus himself knew what he would do and he had no intention of buying bread from a shop. Oh, you say the answer is in this particular passage here. Why, Philip? This he said to prove him. He was putting Philip to the test. But my question is, why Philip? Why not Peter? Why not John? Why not Andrew? Why Philip? Do you have the answer to that? I don't. And I just have to learn the lesson that on occasions God in his sovereign dealings with his individuals puts one to a test that another may never experience. You think about Luke chapter 7, and there are three young men in Luke chapter 7. The one is the centurion servant. I know he's a young man because one of the words that's used to describe him is a boy servant. He was a young man, and he's at the point of death, and the Lord intervened. And here's the widow of Nain's son. And I know he's a young man because the Lord Jesus said so. Young man, I say unto thee arise. He had died and yet the Lord intervenes. And there's another young man in the chapter. His name is John the Baptist. We were hearing about him yesterday. And he's incarcerated and he's lonely. And that man who'd been an outdoor man preaching in the wildernesses of Judea, he's now shut in. And the Bible says that they came and they told him of these things. Of what things? Of the Lord intervening in the interests of these two young men. And John might have said, well, if he was able to do that for them. He was expecting that very soon the key would turn in the lock and they would say, John, you're free to go. The key turned in the lock and there was a man standing with an executioner's axe in his hand. And John is led to the block. And he might have said, why me? Why them? And And sometimes we look around and we we see people prospering and we say, why has the Lord intervened in a positive way in their lives? And look at me. My brother, my sister, there's no answer to that. And we just have to bow to the sovereign dealings of God in the lives of his people. It's the same in Acts chapter 12. Why did the Lord intervene in the case of Peter and send an angel to liberate him from his imprisonment? And yet James is put to death by the edge of the sword. Why the difference? There's no answer to it. And we just bow to the sovereign ways of God. So out of all the twelve who were there, it is Philip who is selected. 
The Lord is testing him. This he said to prove him, to test him. And now Philip responds and he says, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. The Lord asks a question, from whence shall we buy bread? And he swerves off. And there's not a word about from whence. It's all about money, 200 penny worth of bread. And sometimes we can get out of it that way. We're good at changing the subject. The woman at the well was just like that. Go call thy husband. Oh, I have no husband. Neither she had. The man she was living with wasn't her husband. And the Lord reveals that. And you know, in an instant, she's on to the subject of worship. eh? And we were hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ with the child. And he puts the child in the midst. And encourages them to think about being humble. You see, they've been disputing among themselves. By the way, who should be the greatest? And there's the child. And in an instant, John changes the subject. They're all embarrassed. And he's away off onto something else. Master, we saw one casting out demons in thy name, and we rebuked him because he followeth not us. What a cheek. In the very same chapter at the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration, these disciples had no ability to cast out an evil spirit. And yet, they'd rebuked this other fellow for doing it. But you see, John had the facility just to change the subject. Now, we're very cute at times. Far better to be transparent. And Philip, immediately, he thinks in terms of money. Well, I don't know whether that's how it is in Canada. But, you know, there are some people, and whenever any project is raised, could we do this or that in the service of God? How much is it going to cost? And we forget that there are infinite resources at the disposal of the Almighty. And he's saying 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. I tell you, The fact that he mentions 200 penny worth of bread gives me to understand the value of what Mary gave to the Lord. 300 pence worth. If 200 penny worth could have conceivably fed the crowd, maybe not just, but if it could have conceivably fed the crowd, 5,000 people, well, it shows me that what Mary gave to the Lord was something special to the value of 300 pence. And my brother, my sister... We are so often like the people in Malachi's day. We give God our leftovers. And so he's thinking about money only. 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for every one of them to take a little. But now Andrew appears on the scene. Three times over he features in this gospel by John. And he seems to be the personal evangelist. And he'll say in chapter 1, well, we found the Christ. He first findeth his own brother, Simon. He introduces his brother, In chapter 1, he introduces the lad in chapter 6. He introduces the Greeks. He and Philip bring the Greeks in chapter 12. We say he's a personal evangelist. Now, I know that there are some people who are naturally courageous. Some of us, like Timothy, are just a little bit timid. But it's good to know that there's a boldness that can be derived from God. I'm thinking of 1 Thessalonians 2. We were bold in our God to preach the gospel unto you amidst much contention. And so there's a boldness that can be derived from God. So let us, every one of us, take a leaf out of Andrew's book. Andrew's Simon, Peter's brother. There's some people who for a whole life live in the shade of someone else. If you're like that, don't be discouraged. You know, there's a woman who's sitting at the, the sepulchre with Mary Magdalene, and she's only described as the other Mary, maybe living in the shade of Mary Magdalene. Now, there are people who are like that. Oh, but they're humble, and they're busy. 
even although they seem to be living in the shade of others. So this man, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, saith unto him, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. He doesn't need the great fishes, just small fishes. And five barley loaves and two small fishes in the hands of omnipotence are sufficient to feed the hungry multitude. And this is our God today, one who knows all things and who is able to meet all of our needs. How wonderful this is to know. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday night, as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. Also, feel free to take a look at other literature and audio offers at anchorpointradio.com, where you can also subscribe to our Anchor Point podcast. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor.